Welcome to Digital Aspirations in Education from Aspire Technology Partners, a podcast series on education where we discuss technology insights that drive today's K-12 and higher ed transformation. This podcast is sponsored by Cisco. Aspire Technology Partners is a leading systems integrator and Cisco Gold Certified Partner. Please welcome your host, Jared Heiner, Director of Education, Innovation, and Sales at Aspire. Welcome to another episode of the Aspire Technology Partners Aspirations in Education podcast sponsored by Cisco, where we explore all things education. And today I'm super, super excited. Uh, I'm on with Tyler Schrote, who is the president and founder of the Electronic Gaming Federation, uh, which is super, super exciting for me because I like gaming. Uh, but Tyler, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. No, it's a, like I said, it's it's my pleasure, and I'm really excited uh, today because I'm I'm fascinated not only with gaming in general, but uh, having been an educator, watching gaming start exploding in education, um, it, you know, is it, something that I think is necessary, and I think it, it has a lot of amazing opportunities for students uh, of all ages. But before I go too far down uh, that line. The Electronic Gaming Federation. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this and how you started this 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 company, this organization. And now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're essentially running championships, uh, the likes of the Big East, NCAA stuff. I mean, this is the real deal. Yeah, uh, we have the distinct pleasure of uh, playing the role of governing body for Division One collegiate esports, uh, and then we do the same thing at the high school level, uh, where we work with Disney. So uh, as, you know, a gamer for my entire life, it's, you know, kind of a, a dream come true. Um, but really, we got started because, uh, you know, my personal background started in esports uh, all the way back in the early 2000s as a player. And then I moved into uh, team management and then ultimately working on the league and tournament size. So uh, while I was doing that, I was also, you know, like in football and wrestling and all that kind of stuff. So sports and esports always kind of, you know, made sense when they went together. Uh, and then I ended up going to college at the Rochester Institute of Technology up in Rochester, New York. Uh, and while I was there, uh, I started working for residence life and student conduct. And one of the consistent challenges that we were always trying to solve, and, and it's you know pretty true across most campuses, uh, high school and college, uh, was how do you engage with students that weren't as excited about uh, other things as they were about gaming? And how do you as administrators kind of bridge that gap uh, and ultimately give those students the experience that they're looking for, uh, which obviously helps tremendously with the idea of retention and engagement uh, and ultimately graduation. So uh, after some convincing, uh, I had the opportunity to start running video game tournaments uh, as part of the programming that I was doing in residence life. Um, and as you can imagine, that was pretty popular because people love playing video games. Uh, and then it just continued to grow on campus and then started to get others involved. So. By the time I graduated in 2015, uh, we got into this point uh, as a group that we, you know, felt good in a felt like we were in a position to do it full time. So at the time, we were doing a lot of grassroots stuff, and then over the last five years, we've really been focused on how do we uh, focus specifically on working with administrations. How do we make esports really accessible uh, across all the campuses that we work with? And then, you know, from what you said about championships, we're now at a point where we work with Division One universities all across uh, the country, running leagues for them, uh, and then helping them on campus really understand what esports is and, and what it can do for their campus. 
So you just said a lot there, which all of it very exciting to me. And I mean, it's very entrepreneurial, right? You, you, you've had something that you loved, you saw a problem and the solution kind of presented itself. Um, and, and we'll, we'll get to some of that in just a second, but I want to kind of start at the very beginning, which is, I, I even said this too, there, there was an explosion, but it's really not an explosion. It's just, it's come to the surface. I mean, I go back to my childhood in the, in the early eighties, my father brought home the first video game system. Video gaming has been wildly popular. It's just something that has always been, you, you kind of do it on your own, which is an odd way to say it because you have to be in front of a computer uh, so it, 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 it seems isolating, but the reality is there are these massive online communities, right? So this isn't really new. This is just a new venue. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, before the internet and, you know, before, uh, you know, like cable internet was widely accepted, you'd have uh, the opportunity to like go over to a friend's house and play couch co-op and, you know, people still got really excited. And I know I was one of them, even when I was growing up, like you got the new super Mario game or something, you want to go play it. You're playing Smash on N64 or something like that. And then, you know, as you had internet that was actually, you know, good, uh, you didn't have to listen to that awful dial-up sound uh, every time you tried to connect uh, or picked up on the phone on accident uh, was a huge turning point, obviously, in that. And, you know, that was me in 2001 being able to play online for the first time uh, in, a, in a really meaningful way. And that opened up all these really amazing friendships and then really what was the huge point for gaming and esports in terms of viewership and content was first YouTube and the ability to, you know, create, you know, content really easily and really cheaply as basically anybody, uh, no matter where they were. Uh, and then the most important one probably uh, in recent history was uh, the introduction of Twitch. So, you know, everybody always really enjoyed watching people play video games. It just wasn't something that was accessible. And then when you thought about the esports side of it, um, you used to have to jump through so many hoops to be able to watch people that were playing and competing. And when Twitch made it, you know, literally as simple as typing in a URL and, and watching something online, it made the uh, growth that you now see in terms of viewership and general engagement across it possible. So, you know, there was this kind of long history of everybody, you know, had an interest in video games or loved doing it in some way. They had fun if they were trying it. Um, but access was kind of tough. And just like with anything, you know, once you break down those barriers, uh, the rest is history. Well, and, yeah. And I think that, uh, like you said, now that everybody's running around and we're so connected, uh, our ability to have these conversations uh, and, and, and collaborate online, it, it's just gaming has gone to a completely different level. Uh, and I want to shift focus a little bit to the educational piece. And I'm really fascinated to hear what you have to say about, uh, you know, retention. At what point did you see a correlation between gaming and having esports on campus and retention? What did that look like for you? Was it a quick was it a quick uh, observation, or did this take some time? And you know, t- tell me a little bit about that because that is the number one issue, whether we, we address it or not. It's the number one issue for colleges is retention, especially those first couple of of months for for freshmen. I think it, it was kind of an involving uh, an evolving thing for us where we kind of knew that video games were a great way to channel and create communications for different student bodies. And one of the earlier stats that we found was that, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80% of students on any given campus self-identified as gamers. And so as you were trying to figure out how do you get people to pay attention and become a part of the community, it just made sense that something that was that widely popular uh, became the channel to do so. 
And it, what we were kind of looking at was from um, even before we looked at the gaming piece specifically, we knew that the more engaged a student was, the more likely they were to care about you know the community and therefore class and therefore in theory, uh, their retention rate would be a lot higher. So um, that was kind of divorced from the gaming side. So by burying those things together, we assumed that even though we didn't really have any good data at the time, that that would be the likely outcome, or at least that's what we hoped. And then what really kind of turned that corner for us is when we started working in the high school space, um, we weren't really doing very good data tracking at the time, but we had a lot of anecdotal stories from administrators that we were working with saying, hey, we just introduced an esports program, you know, we're getting support from you guys in, in terms of what that means for us and, and how to talk to the students about, you know, what the opportunity was. And then as soon as students were getting on that team, because it came with eligibility requirements, and things like that, uh, you had students that were showing up to class more frequently, their academic performance was improving. Um, they were talking a lot about students that, you know, hadn't really found their fit previously, uh, you know, being a part of a group that really mattered to them. And so, you know, with these types of things that were coming in from all different types of schools, uh, we started to look at it a little bit more deeply and, and now we're starting to track it, uh, you know, more scientifically. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's interesting to see the evolution, if you will, of, of going, you know, just in, in your, your player, then all of a sudden you're setting this up and then it starts expanding and you're in the high school realm. My, my question is, do you see a difference uh, in, in how these are being started, how, how your different leagues get started or how a club may get started? Do you find that it's student driven more often than not? Or is it, you know, adults coming in who have gaming backgrounds? Um, and I'm curious if there's a difference between the higher ed and, and the K-12 world? Yeah, there's definitely a, a variety of ways that they start because what we found is um, students obviously love playing video games uh, just as much as I do. And when there's a, a, a lack of support from the administration, they will figure out a way to do it on their own. So what we found was uh, at schools that didn't really have a particular appetite for supporting esports on a formal way, um, you would have a group of students, uh, sometimes very small, sometimes very large, that would start a group on their own. Uh, they would represent you know, the school or themselves as students of the school, um, and then they would you know, go off and compete. And that was pretty similar at high school or college, uh, just kind of depending on who the the individual students that were you know taking the initiative to do so were, um, and then when you had administrators getting interested, either you know they were gamers themselves, um, or they were uh, administrators that were kind of looking at the the trends in general and said, hey, we need to make a change or we need to be prepared for this to happen, and so what we found is the the big, most important thing was to sort of bridge the gap between the students that were either already doing that or already trying to do that and the administrators that were building that because that made a much more successful you know, community building. Um, and when it comes to the differences between higher ed and high school, uh, they're pretty similar in terms of like their very high level process of, you know, there's interest in it, you start to build something formalized and then you start to add in things like um, education and social impact initiatives uh, and, you know, ultimately being able to track data to understand what the impact of esports on campus was. The main difference usually ends up being, uh, one, the amount of money that gets invested in esports, because as you can imagine, you know, colleges that build out, you know, big rooms and stuff like that can take it pretty seriously. 
um, and the level of sort of complexity that goes into getting them started, because as you might imagine, uh, college comes with a lot more bureaucratic hurdles to get over uh, than high school usually does. Um, and there's a couple other things that obviously come with it, but the cool thing is that, uh, you know, once you get involved in it, once you get there, it's really easy to build communities, um, either within each school or, uh, in the geographic area between high schools and colleges, because, you know, at the end it's playing video games. <laughs> but it's, but yet it's, it is so much more. And, uh, it, but you know, that's kind of the cool thing about it. You can boil it down. And it's like, I'm just playing video games, like I'm doing the thing that I want to do. Uh, and yet there's so many of these other benefits now. At the, at the college level, my mis, my misunderstanding this because my son, uh, going to be ten, is is a huge gamer, uh, and you know we've always battled that how much time is in front of uh, the the screen. But I'm on I'm working off the the impression that there's now scholarships for esports, and I'm really pushing that one. Um, <laughs> am I am I accurate in saying that? It is uh, right now. There are about 185 or so colleges that offer some sort of formalized esports program and within that group uh there's sort of an array of scholarship opportunities some are kind of small like a thousand dollar a semester kind of stipend uh situations and some have gone as far as giving full rides just like you know if you were going on like a football or a basketball scholarship so uh there's still a lot of development on that front uh but i would certainly expect just sort of based on how things going that uh by the time you're looking at colleges they'll be uh, a lot more opportunities. So, you know, I, back when I was in education, we used to offer, uh, and, I, and I'd actually work as a tutor for like ACDs uh, and the SATs. So it, would it make sense to actually get him like a video game tutor? Is, is that a thing? Uh, get him get him really good early? Um, I, I, I guess. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, um, especially at the K-12 level, because what I've seen happening, you know, there's a lot more debate about the content of the game. So it almost seems like, you know, there are some more mature scenarios. There's games that have some language. Uh, it, does that become an obstacle when setting up uh, uh, clubs? You know, how, what does that hurdle look like when you go into a school, you're sitting there and saying, we want to start this. People have to be bringing up the fact that, you know, so there, there are some issues. Um, yeah, of course. Agreeing. Well, we kind of look at it as something to tackle head on and, and have a really frank conversation about upfront because some of the stereotypes about gaming and stuff like that, that every game is like that. And depending on, you know, the stance that you take on that, that can be a really big barrier and certainly something that prevents adoption, which, you know, ultimately with these students that really care about gaming is going to put them in a position where they don't feel particularly supported. So what we've done is we segment college from high school, uh, you know, different age groups, different, you know, kind of focuses in terms of what's important there. And at the high school level, we just put a really, you know, straightforward blink uh, or sorry, benchmark and say, you know, we're not going to do any games that are rated M. Uh, we're not going to do anything with red blood and things that typically are the, the games that, you know, from a content perspective, you might have an issue with um, and try to make that decision as easy as possible. But we also try to have that conversation with administrators that while you may not want to support a game like Counter-Strike or Call of Duty formally, formally uh, they are usually some of the most, if not the most popular games uh, with students. So while you may not want to support that team formally, you do have to acknowledge that students are doing that and figuring out a way to support them because otherwise you're going to end up in a position where you're kind of working against the, the student interests and, and their benefit. 
So we try to go at it from, you know, like let's let's talk about gaming and esports first and let's start with a game like Super Smash Brothers or Rocket League because that's accessible. No one really has an issue with it. Um, and then we can have some of the deeper conversations about, you know, what the, the real true impact of, of interacting with students can be. Um, and then, you know, getting into that becomes uh, really interesting. And obviously there's lots of interesting challenges when you're dealing with school boards and things like that, um, that, you know, take just a lot longer to, to deal with over time. And, and I guess it's, it's having this conversation. We're only into this now for, you know, maybe 15 minutes and already without even identifying it, you're talking about the social, emotional, and, and there's a lot of uh, educational benefits to getting kids to just talk. Uh, and to your point, they could very well just be sitting at home playing these games uh, without somebody there uh, to, to walk them through things that they may be seeing, experiencing, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you, you look at how this is coming about and you're getting kids together and having a good time. Uh, they're, they're, they're learning from one another. Socialization, especially uh, in the K-12 grades, you know, it just... It, it, it's so, so important. And we oftentimes don't recognize that, right? The first thing that gets cut is going to be recess. <laughs> you know, the next thing that gets cut is art or music. Uh, and a lot of times those, those kind of arts are very important. So I see this as another expression of that. My question is, do you see gaming bleeding into the instructional programming at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do a couple programs that are really designed on kind of using esports as the easiest vector to engage a student, not just from a social perspective and, and from their interaction with the school as an institution, but also with particular learning subjects. So there's like a, a whole field of, you know, gaming uh, and education and how to gamify learning and things like that, which uh, I am far from an expert in, but certainly support that uh, in the biggest way possible. But when it comes to esports and education, we use it more as like a, a use case for students to take what they're learning in the classroom and then apply it to a real life scenario. So for example, uh, we run a, a broadcast education program where students that are interested in becoming uh, shoutcasters or producers or you know media people in general uh, to come in, work with us, and then actually broadcast you know real life esports matches of high schools playing against one another. Um, and it kind of gives them this uh, safe environment where everybody kind of knows, you know, what they're focused on. They're able to put that stream out on Twitch or YouTube, um, and it kind of gives them the opportunity to, to hone those skills. And what we, you know, kind of use broadcast as the easiest example. You can also use it in the case of um, math, uh, marketing, uh, social media mm -hmm. management, and a whole variety of other things. Well, and it almost works on its own as well. And again, I'll reference my own son, but you know, when I look at even my daughter, my son and their friends, uh, the world has changed so dramatically where if my son is struggling, uh, you know, let's say he's, he's, uh, uh, legend of Zelda breath of the wild. That was, he spent hours on that. And, uh, you know, it's funny because it was something he was so impassioned with that he would actually go and sit down in front of YouTube and find gamers that were working through, you know, different battles. And uh, he would figure out where weapons were and, and how to, uh, you know, it's almost like this self-serving little environment where because we have so much access to technology, he's really teaching himself how to learn. That learning process is there. Uh, and so I would assume it's the same going online, uh, having conversations with your friends. He'll bring people over and he and his buddies will discuss and, you know, Minecraft. There's so many avenues uh, that I think gaming can go. And, and just talking with you, it's clearly not we just set up competitions. It really is all about creating a social experience. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think about it as how gaming was such an impactful part of my life since I was three years old, watching my older brother and sister play Super Mario. So when we kind of looked at what we wanted to be in the space and what we really needed to accomplish in order to, you know, fulfill that mission, we knew that competition was the easiest thing to understand because you just say, hey, it's like sports, but you're playing video games instead. And people can understand that because the idea of, you know, playing games against another school and having a championship and, and things like that is, is pretty easy. Um, and then being able to use that as sort of a beachhead to have these conversations about how is esports inf- uh, informing learning and providing different opportunities for students to look at things in a slightly different way um, and for them to get involved in that process. And then looking at the social impact side of it, whether, you know, it's just helping people understand how social games are um, and why that's so important to be able to do those things like talk about strategy and uh, especially when you're on the team, the same leadership, teamwork, all those different qualities that you're trying to build in football or basketball are still there. Um, and then we've also been able to have some really frank conversations about things like uh, diversity and inclusivity in, in gaming uh, and mental health, which uh, can be really difficult topics to you know, make real. Um, but when it comes to gaming, the, the cool thing is, generally speaking, the community is really supportive and welcoming. And you find that, you know, when people share an interest in a particular game, you know, like Minecraft, for example, uh, the who you are and what you look like and where you're from doesn't really matter as much because the game kind of, you know, bridges that gap in a way that it's hard for something else to do. Um, and then with social, um, excuse me, with mental health, uh, we've used it as a way to kind of start that conversation with a lot of students, especially at the high school level that aren't really sure about, um, you know, where do I go for this type of information and, and how do I know that, you know, I'm getting what I need out of this uh, and working with groups like Rise Above the Disorder and, and individual schools on their particular efforts. Uh, we've seen gaming kind of become a really uh, positive bastion for people to um, feel safe enough to have some conversations that they might not be willing to on their own. And that's fascinating because, again, in education, so much of what we're trying to accomplish is really the, the those those opening up uh, and the social emotional pieces and and all of those. Uh, you know, it's tough. You you don't get to do that really uh, when you're sitting for forty five minutes, eighty minutes, whatever the case may be. You, you know, going over fractions. Uh, that just the time is not there for that. Um, and, and I think a lot of teachers would like to have that experience. Uh, and at the same time, it's it's a lot of soft skills you've described. And what I mean by that is, you know, you talk about creativity, leadership. Those are things that don't end up getting addressed necessarily in the classroom. There really aren't any grades for some of those things. You know, the ability to carry on a conversation, the ability to, to look at something differently. But yet those are the skills that employers are looking for. Uh, so as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, God, th- there's such a space for this and such an outlet. And to the point you made in the very beginning, so many people identify as gamers, you know, in some capacity that I think it really opens up the door for a tremendous, tremendous community. Um, and you must be seeing just the, the numbers just going up astronomically. Yeah, well, I mean, especially now with everything that's uh, going on in the world, uh, video game and distance learning kind of pair really naturally together, uh, which is great. Um, and in general, people are starting to become more comfortable with the idea of not thinking of gaming as, you know, like that stereotype of a kid in their parents' basement that doesn't ever do anything else um, and starting to understand and appreciate the possibilities beyond that. So it's been uh, a long road, uh, certainly since uh, the first video game uh, was put out there and it will continue to be a long road. But 
I think uh, there's finally enough data and enough traction to start, you know, making the real case that people are uh, comfortable because they don't see it as um, a risk. And as an administrator, they're not thinking like, oh, my God, if I, you know, invite video games into my school, uh, that I'm going to lose my job because I took a risk on it, uh, which was one of the, the really early hurdles that we had to get over. And I feel really good about where we're at now. Well, that and I think when when you're I would assume that that building a club uh, there, there's it's it's going, like you said, through the administration. I would also assume that there's a curriculum component. There's somebody who has to be running this and, and sponsoring it, uh, especially the K-12 level. But it, it, it high, higher ed and K-12, there's also got to be investment from the IT folks, right? Because you're not if you're running a, some type of tournament and you bring a group of kids in, uh, you have to have gaming computers. You have to have collaboration technology. You have to have all of the technology to make this run, which oftentimes we don't even see in the classroom, or if we do, it's, it's sparse at best and sometimes doesn't work. Yeah, we definitely go through uh, a lot of really interesting scenarios, depending on the school that we're working with. Um, college uh, and universities tend to be a little bit easier because once they've said, hey, we're all in on esports, like they're willing to put a pretty significant budget behind it a lot of the time, uh, which makes it a little bit easier. Uh, and with high school, you have to be a little bit more creative because you're dealing with uh, usually a lot more strict requirements around IT uh, permissions and things like that. Uh, but you're also dealing with a significantly higher level of budget volatility. So what we typically will do when we go to work with a school is kind of say, here's all these different options that are kind of meant for, you know, where you are along this spectrum of uh, resource availability, esports understanding and maturity, um, and then and ultimately the goals of the school. And so in some cases, you may have institutions that don't have a particularly good computer lab, and therefore some games are, are just kind of out of their reach. And so we will redirect them towards, uh, you know, maybe they've invested in Xboxes or Playstations or something like that, or find that to be a more accessible option. Uh, and then you can play a game like Rocket League, and it's still uh, possible to get a lot of students involved in that really quickly. Um, and then over time, be able to say, here's the use case where not only are these PCs that you're upgrading are, uh, you know, good for esports in a game like Overwatch or something, but you can also use them in the classroom in these different ways. And that way they're really serving the educational mission of the institution and the campus while being able to uh, enable the, the esports team in a more uh, proficient way. It's kind of a turn from from the uh, I don't want to say Chromebook because it's a product, but uh, essentially, you know, schools were running out trying to give everybody uh, Chromebooks. But the reality is there there are obviously these applications where there's got to be a bigger investment and some thought put into it. But it sounds like you have covered so many different bases that if I'm a superintendent or I'm a principal or curriculum director or even a teacher and I say this is exciting how do I get in touch with you and your organization, Tyler, to, to start the conversation? What, what does that process look like? Uh, so typically, uh, we have us do a lot of outreach uh, or schools will come to us and talk to us through our website or, you know, sometimes uh, they'll be referred by another school in their district or something. And so we'll have a conversation with typically a principal, an IT director, or sometimes like a superintendent at a district. Um, and just really have a conversation about what they're trying to accomplish, what's important to them. And, and then we start to build out a plan with them that says, you know, this, we're brand new to this. And so we're going to start really small, really easy and just kind of get something up and running. And typically it's going to be 
one Rocket League team because it's really easy. It's really easy to, uh, you know, find data around as you're building it out. And then bring in other partners uh, that we have on the technology side, whether you're talking about hardware or uh, IT related items, uh, and then talking about curriculum and all these things you want to do on the social side of it. Um, and so it's really kind of like, you know, planting a seed in the ground and then, you know, tending to it, you know, the plant as it grows. Um, and as we go through that process, uh, schools get more comfortable with it. They get more sophisticated in their understanding of what's happening and they're able to take it and, and do really cool things with it over time. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I'm sitting here reflecting on the conversation and, and we're coming to the close and I'm thinking, you know, I, we could go on in, in this conversation. And and in fact, actually, uh, you'll be joining me, um, it, I believe it's the end of November at NiceScape for a similar conversation. Uh, we'll have some more time. Uh, but you know, there's so much to this. And I say it's exciting because, again, I think for schools, for academic programs, for kids, it's just such an exciting way to uh, expand what they already love to do. And, and like you said, all those really cool things. Uh, so thank you so much for joining. Uh, like I said, there's a lot more that I think we could talk about it. But the good news is we have the opportunity to do that. And uh, I look forward to, to continuing our conversation. Uh, and thank you for joining Aspire Technology uh, on our Aspirations in Education podcast, which again is sponsored by Cisco. And Tyler, the last question I'm going to ask you is this. When do you think there will be a GoldenEye tournament opened up to the public for guys like me to come in and show off my prowess? Uh, they come up every now and then. There's been some really cool mods that have brought it back and made it more accessible, uh, accessible rather. So uh, I would say as soon as you want to make it happen. <laughs> and I was going to say, I don't think it can be more successful because as far as I'm concerned, that was the greatest moments of my life playing that game. And the only reason I don't continue playing is, it, is that I've got two kids. I'm married. I've got a house and p- bills to pay. <laughs> uh, but uh, like I said, Tyler, thank you so much. Is there anything that we haven't talked about? Did we miss anything? Because uh, like I said, there's so much we could go on to, but I think uh, knowing what you're up to is is, is really the, the key ingredient. I would just say that uh, if you're a school administrator thinking about it or a teacher or, or even a student that's trying to figure out how to get it started, uh, don't be intimidated. There's obviously a lot of stuff that you can go through, but uh, being able to start small and kind of build into something is the most successful way to do it. Uh, and you know, don't be afraid to have that conversation. Awesome. Again, thank you, Tyler, so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Digital Aspirations in Education is brought to you by Aspire Technology Partners, a premier technology solutions and services provider designing, implementing, delivering, and managing digital infrastructure and IoT solutions to enable transformational educational outcomes creating more agile and efficient IT environments that deliver differentiated customer experiences for your organization. To learn more about Aspire Technology Partners, visit AspireTransforms.com or email us at podcast at AspireTransforms.com.